extend greetings to you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's a privilege once again to be gathered together. I don't think we realize what we have when we meet together on a Sunday morning in freedom. That's my topic this morning, freedom. I don't know what all you will be doing Tuesday. It is known as Independence Day, July 4th. I don't know if you'll eat a hot dog or eat a hamburger, which you may traditionally do as an American. But this is the land that we do live in. And it is a day of celebrating. I, I will say freedom, however, the U.S. doesn't necessarily live in freedom. Freedom by definition, I didn't even write these down, but, oh, and, and throw liberty in there. And independence. Those things don't necessarily give you freedom. They just give you, you're out by yourself and you can do whatever you want. The U.S. fought the, the, uh, in the old days there for their freedom of being separate from England. I have my history right. And they would have been able to break away and do their own thing uh, here in the U.S. Uh, aside from whatever influences England would have wanted to have on them or control that they wanted over them. And that's what we know of in a, in a physical sense as we think of freedom. However, you know that there is a big topic of spiritual freedom as well. And that's uh, where my mind is, and my message will be this morning. I was debating of uh, other subjects, but there's something about when you see it around us, and the children going out as soon as they hear a boom, Fireworks! They can run out of the deck, and we live up on a hill. And so you can see them over on the east, and then over here, they're in the west. And then I remember being little, too. That was just, oh, you, that was great. You just had to see the fireworks. What are they doing? They are celebrating freedom, if you want to call it freedom. Now, I don't want to take analogies to that, but we need to have independence, no, not independence day, a day of celebrating our freedom in Christ every day. We don't have to wait for a yearly thing. And so I don't know what you'll be doing over the holidays, as we call it, um, July 4th um, weekend. But I want to remind you, and you can turn your, to your Bibles to John chapter 8. So where we'll be starting, I'm not sure if I have this in a very good format. If you're taking notes, it might be a very somewhat random as I just um, will be moving around a few places in Scripture. But we're going to begin here in John chapter 8 and reading verses 20 through 36. So you can follow along as we read a number of verses here just to give a setting. John chapter 8. 
Starting in verse 20, These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself, because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come? And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of his Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any, to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth, for, abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We've heard these verses a lot, but this morning, whether you have committed your life to Christ or whether you have not, the statement given here by Jesus that puts us back to the beginning of where we started in our spiritual life is is to face the fact that Jesus said, you shall die in your sins, and he listed it in verse 21. And 24, ye shall die in your sins. And that is the fact in reality this morning, brothers and sisters, that if you don't have freedom in Christ, you will die in your sins. And praise God, I trust and know that a lot of you, and all of you hopefully, have found that. You don't have to die in your sins. But Jesus was confronting the Jews that just weren't obviously getting it. They couldn't. Just grasp what Jesus' mission, what he was trying to do in bringing um, salvation to mankind. And as we saw the things in the Sunday school, uh, Brother Phil taught with the picture of the tabernacle and the old ways. And Jesus brings something new, and it just was hard for them to believe. But Jesus points to him and says, if you don't believe, at the end of verse uh, 24, it says, for if ye... Believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. 
But it does say that many believed on him. Uh, if you get down there to verse 30, it says, As he spake these words, many believed on him. There was people listening, and they paid attention, and they believed what he was saying. And so he uh, continued on with them in verse 31. He says, And then, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, and I kind of see this as them starting to understand what's taking place. Jesus uh, continues to try, to try to give them more. He says, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And he um, is just using that as a way to uh, set the setting here for verse 32, which is the um, verse we know quite a bit. Um, he says, if you continue, you'll be my disciples. He said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And this is, uh, you know, Jesus has a big job to try to uh, help these people understand because they don't know what's coming as we do. They, they haven't seen him uh, beaten and held in trial and uh, the things he suffered and then to be carried away and crucified and to be put in a tomb and then to rise again those things haven't happened and jesus is is putting this and i see it here in the way the king james is written and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free a little bit of future uh, events coming that did, that they might not have been able to take right away uh, in the present setting where they were and so Jesus is giving it in, you shall, you shall know the truth when you see uh, my, the crucifixion, the death, and then the resurrection. These things will make sense to you. And you will know the truth once these things take place. But it's still a choice that they had to make in believing. And the hard word in this verse 32 is truth. I pondered that word quite a bit, and I don't know what you would give for a definition of truth. The dictionary is somewhat helpful, but not really. We think of in spiritual terms of truth, what we know today, how we view truth through the Bible. And I'll just give you my uh, collecting all my thoughts and try to put it together. When you think of truth in a spiritual sense, I think of it as facts and reality, if I can use that word, in the past and in the present and in the future. It's truth. It will not, we say truth doesn't change, and it doesn't. Facts don't change, and you can go into science, you think of gravity and anything else that people would try to argue that isn't a reality or isn't, isn't uh, real and the truth here was what was going to take place to Je with Jesus and the fact that he himself is the truth. As we know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus puts out that you shall know the truth and this truth will make you free. And let's go to th verse 33. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage. To any man, how sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So the Jews, the ones here he's talking to, 
uh, must have heard this word free, and it caused them to uh, assume that they were not free. And I remember being, uh, or still am at times, if somebody tells you you are stuck, you won't get out. And you can't see what you're stuck in, and you think you are free, and somebody tells you you are not free, that does not go down very easy. And it's even more so once you see that you're in a condition that you can't get out, and to acknowledge it is, is even as hard yet. So my brother, one of my older brothers, in a good brotherly way, tried to teach some of us younger ones um, how to give in. And uh, it would occur at random. I remember it like one or two times. I might have been 8, 10, 12 years old, where if you were just happened to be fighting over who gets the couch, the bigger brother can just grab the smaller one and move them around and do with them whatever they want, and suddenly you would find yourself in a position where you couldn't get out because they would just stick you in their little spot wherever and you couldn't move I remember a few times where they've just your arms and legs all got held and you were stuck now what's naturally what happens when you're stuck you put every effort possible into getting out you don't like being stuck you move your leg you move your arms you move your head you you become violent and wild, and they're yet they're still big enough to confine you and hold you, and it makes you more angry yet. Because of yourself, you can't get out. So having that being bad enough, he would say the only way to get out is to say tight stuck. Some dumb words that he would come up with that we would have to say, please wouldn't work. You couldn't say, please let me go. He'd say, nope, you have to say tight stuck. Just the way it held out. And it took maybe a few more kicking and attempts to get out on your own before you would finally admit. And even to the point that my mom would uh, tell us to quit because, and I might even done it to my younger brother, I'm not sure. But usually the one that was stuck would end up in tears and emotional outcoming through it. And mom couldn't always handle that. She would just say, quit it, quit it, just let him go. But if you said tight stuck, whew, you were free. Once you got done crying and got over the emotional uh, you know, difficulty of it all. So Jesus confronts the people right here and says, it'll make you free, implying that you are not free. And they said, we're of Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So in those days, you had servants and slaves, and they were not free. Now, obviously, you can go to the Old Testament and see all the laws. There can be, uh, you know, they'll go to the door, they'll punch their ear through, and then they'll be a servant forever for that person. Uh, there could be some freedom in that. There's the year of Jubilee where the slaves are released, um, servants are released. There's a lot of uh, things you can go into. But whatever that may be, or we'll leave that, leave that go, it says about, we were never in bondage to any man because we are the Son. The Son had all the rights down through. 
And they're saying we were never a slave. We weren't, we weren't in bondage, uh, you know, held under by some other, uh, you know, as a slave analogy. And he says, how sayest thou ye shall be made free? And then Jesus tries to really get in on what he's trying to get at. If they can realize that they were never a slave per se, they were of the, the uh, lineage of the family, you know, the uh, rights as a son. Um, he turns around and now he says in verse 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And he just lays it flat out to him and he says, If you commit sin, you are a servant of sin. And the servant and a slave, the wording in Scripture is basically, take your pick. I have my own personal opinion on the wording of servant or slave, but you know Paul calls himself a slave. Uh, they call it, he calls himself a servant. The idea is basically similar. And the wording here, it says a servant of sin. I, I think of a slave of sin fits a little better. And in NIV, it uses the word slave. It, it's um, kind of insignificant here or there. But you are held uh, in bondage or you're under the control of it. As you know, a master would over his slave or over his servant. And so Jesus is trying to get that across. And if you remember the verses earlier, he says, you're going to die in your sins. And so in 35, he just keeps adding to this, and he says, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. And and, and near as I know that, he's talking about if you could get away from being a servant or a slave and you could become a son, you would not be in in any bondage. You would be free. And we know that as a slave. If they they could be, uh, you know, brought in. Now, if you're not under in the genealogy, if you're not in the lineage of the family, it just ain't there. And Jesus is saying... The servant abideth not in the house, meaning that the servant's name will not be listed in the people of this house as the father, the son, the grandson down through. He said the servant doesn't abide in that part of the house. Like that is, it says, but the son abideth ever. That is who is continued on down through. And he is saying that how are you going to become a son? As verse 36 says, the one we know well is two. It says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And there again, there could be analogies if you want to say types and shadows of Old Testament uh, laws of slaves and, and their freedom. Um, this is what Jesus was trying to bring forth. But here Jesus says the Son can make this servant or this slave that is held in sin can make them free. And along with that, it says, ye shall be free indeed. Interesting to note, not much comment was made about that second phrase, ye shall be free indeed. It more or less just speaks for itself. If it says you'll be free indeed, nothing can really back that off. Or take that away. If you're free, and free indeed, 
you pretty much can just let any possibilities of this not uh, reverting back. You don't even think about it. You're set on it, and you can put your faith in it, and it's going to take place. Now that is the setup for us as Christians, um, where we are coming from a little bit. But turn to Romans 6, two verses in here just continuing to add to what Jesus had uh, by what Paul was writing. As you know, Romans is one that can uh, talk a lot about sin and different things in Romans, but Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. This is a little more for us today because of all the events that took place. They know about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the new life. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And this is pretty basic, not much to bring out in these verses, but it's just saying again that if you understand how to become dead and to die with Christ, you are free from your sins. It uses the word, uh, we should not serve sin. That comes back to that whole same thing of serve or to be a slave of sin. And it would be under the, the control or under the power of sin there in, in verse 6 at the end. It says about that henceforth we should not serve sin. And then verse 7, for he that is dead, is crucified with Christ, is freed from sin. And in this way, the NIV study uh, note one had about um, delivered from the guilt and the penalty of sin. You're free. And so a question that I thought of was, <clears throat> how did you get to where you are in your Christian life? I know it's switching around a little bit, but you take where you are in your spiritual life, you yourself right now this morning, how did you get there? Some basic easy answers. One is, you believed in the Word of God. You took the Bible and you started realizing it, that what is in here is true. And you took that truth and you came to the point of a conversion. Where you laid your sins at the foot of the cross and found forgiveness and freedom. And you didn't want to be a slave to sin anymore. You accepted his plan of salvation and became free. And that's the question this morning. Are you free? And have you made a choice to believe in Jesus? Now that's not new to a lot of you. So we got to get to where maybe I am or where you are today. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, which we assume, yes, are you still free? Turn to Galatians 5. Because as Christians, I think we run into where we don't feel free at times. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, will make sense to us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, if you can't identify with that verse, your Christian life is too easy, and maybe not even a valid one. Because Paul says, Stand in this liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You see that as the past. You you were free. But the rest of the verse points to something that we have to deal with today. And it says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, for us as believers, we need to stand in that firm freedom that Christ gave. We understand that. We, we know that. Again, like I heard in Sunday school, I think it was Phil teaching there. He's like, we just know these things. You grow up, you become a Christian, and, and it's, it's just... It almost is too simple, and in some ways I think he was getting to a, uh, a valid point. But the last part says, do not about being entangled with the yoke of bondage. So the yoke of bondage is referring to that yoke of slavery or being held by sin. And I want to suggest to you that when you become free in Christ, you had to surrender self. You had to acknowledge you had a problem, you had to give in, and you had to say, Lord, I can't do it. But what takes place when you become entangled again with the yoke of bondage? It is when you, I have down, this entanglement happens when self tries to enter into that freedom that you have. Because Satan wants to take away our freedom. And as soon as you find yourself entangled in something, it's because self is trying to come back. This yoke of sin, this bondage of sin wants to take over. And it's given in Scripture lots of places where the spirit and the flesh just, they collide. They go against each other. And I... This word entangled, I didn't even look it up. It just, in the King James, I think in my mind, it made such clear sense that you become entangled with something. And when I say this is something I deal with, that is right. It is a struggle and a battle at times to not let the flesh take away the freedom that I have. Any temptation you face is a threat to take away your freedom. I put down, that sounds patriotic, doesn't it? Don't let somebody take your freedom away from you. You have rights to your freedom. Well, you do. Freedom is a gift that God gives us. We don't earn it. We don't uh, deserve it. It's what naturally God just allows to happen for us. But when a temptation comes along, that is a means of trying to take your freedom away. And what goes round and round in your mind, that's what I call entanglements for me. I don't know what you call entanglement in life, but that's what I call it. Not so much dealing with, I don't want to submit and surrender to God. We got that. We, under, we, we 
you know, you have peace with God, that, that part's in and done. But then there's things that come along in life. And that's what I call being entangled with things, as it says here in this verse. And the things that your mind just, you're tempted with, you're thinking on, and, and not in a good way. Now, your mind can obviously, you have to think about things to, in a right and good way. But this is the, the, the temptation thing kind of coming round and round in your mind, or for me. That you can just quit allowing self to come in and destroy your freedom. So to conclude all that, I wrote down, freedom in Christ is a relaxed mind. And if you're sitting here this morning in turmoil over something, whether to commit to follow Christ or whether a situation you're dealing with, if you can't let it go, give it to God, you're not experiencing freedom. Because that thing that's in your mind is starting to control you again. It's taking up your time, it's taking up your emotions, your energy, and it's just getting a hold of you, and you got to let those things go. Because Paul says here, and be not entangled again with that yoke of bondage. And I'm not going to list things because I have my one mind that's part of me, and you have your own mind that is you. And between you and the Lord, you know what things you're getting entangled in. And you can find freedom. Paul, or uh, I guess Paul, in the beginning he says, stand fast. And part of that um, standing fast is just holding firm to the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Then go to verse 13. It just uh, is adding a little bit more here again in, um, in Galatians 5.13. It reads, For brethren, we have... Sorry. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Use only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Just pulling out a verse here that has uh, liberty in, talking about freedom. We are called unto liberty. Jesus wants us to be in freedom and in liberty in our spiritual lives, but it's not an occasion to the flesh. Now, I don't know where I had it in my notes. Maybe it's in the next one. Yeah, it is in Peter. We'll, we'll get to that, but. An occasion to the flesh, like this freedom that we have in Christ isn't just to go about and do anything that we please. And obviously not to fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh, um, occasion to the flesh as it says here, but the last phrase of the verse says, by love serve one another. So if you wonder what you're freed from, we talked about that, you're freed from sin, you're released from it, but what are you free to? Anything? Well, maybe, but the one thing here is, says, but by love serve one another. You are free to serve one another. Another question came up. Well, then what, why, why does God want this freedom or, or what is behind the, this freedom? Like uh, just, just to try to think of, okay, so the Lord gives us freedom. Um, what do you do with it? Well, this is one of them. 
Serve one another. But one reason for freedom is, is so that you can have fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. If you're not free, you won't have a clear vision right to God and, and being able to take exactly what he says, like there's just, it's, it's muddy in there. If you're not free. And like I say, uh, to serve others and then uh, just add to a little bit of, you know, reasons for freedom. Very quickly it was there. Uh, if Satan has a hold on your life, and if you are not totally free, how can you be genuine in your service to others? And you might be able to fake it for a while and think you can help others and be doing just all great things for other people. But if Satan has a life, has a little bit of a hold, if you're entangled with something, people will see that you are not genuine in your service to others. You will be known by your fruit. They will be able to tell. And as given in these verses, we need to be free. So let's turn to 1 Peter 2. If you care to, 1 Peter chapter 2, we have uh, verses 15 and 16. Just a couple more things as we think of where we live in today, um, you know, as uh, Christians trying to live victorious life uh, in Christ. 1 Peter 2, 15 reads, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And it's somewhat repetitive here what it says. But this is stuck, and I'm not going to go into uh, much of the background. I really kind of zeroed in on verses here. But this is stuck right in the middle of Peter telling us to submit to all the, as, as in 13, to Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or in the governors. And in 15 he says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. You saw that colon there at the end of verse 15. 16 says, As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. The, the word as free in, in this would mean um, living as a free person. As free. You're, you're living as free. It's, it's more an action uh, type verb there. And then the phrase, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. I, I would just tell you, maybe go study it some more yourself. I didn't totally grasp what it's saying. Uh, the NIV reads, as a cover-up for evil. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, I didn't quite, in my mind, think through all that. But anyway, that's what it's referring to as a cloak, the, the covering of maliciousness, or um, as it might be given here, um, evil, of, of not, not good things. But then the last phrase again, but as servants of God. It's what we're called to do. And so in closing, I want to read a few more verses yet. 
as you think of your freedom that you have in Christ, is uh, just, I have it here in my notes so you don't have to turn to it. Second uh, Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then I'd like to read Romans uh, 6, 18 to 23. And that'll be, be my closing verses for us. Romans 6, 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded, your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin... And become servants to God, ye have fruit unto holiness, and the end, sorry, and the end everlasting life. In verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's kneel for prayer.